Welcome back. Creep. Oh my god, it's Halloween. <laughs> Boo. I actually scared the shit out of That was the point. <laughs> <laughs> it's Halloween week, bitches. Evil. <laughs> Max is being exceptionally cute and sitting on my lap, so. Yeah. If you hear any random movements or anything, he's actually purring pretty loudly, but. Um, this isn't going to last long. Oh, our patron of the week this week is... Max. <laughs> Claire. Claire S. Claire. Yeah. Thank you, Claire. We love you dearly. So does Max. He said, oh, Claire. Love Claire. Yeah, she likes ice cream. She does, yeah. So I heard. Dairy-free ice cream. Yep. How was your week? I can't remember it. Good, good. <laughs> I had another person try to convert me. No way. Like, yeah. Uh, he came into work and he was like, I was helping him out with some stuff on his account. And he's like, um, just before I go, um, I don't know if you're interested in, um, but I'm, um, I'm, I'm a part of this church. I was like, listen, I respect it and all. I have no fucking interest. You're like, I respect and, it and all, but hell Satan. Yeah. Like, literally, have I got something written on my forehead that's like, save my soul, please. I don't get it. I think it's just because you're approachable. Therefore. <laughs> like, ah, he's weak. <laughs> we'll get him. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it is. It's like, oh, he's easy to talk to, so he's probably easier to convert. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, the sooner I get my satanic tattoo finished on my leg, the better. <laughs> anyway, I think we'll get straight into it, will we? Sure. Right. So we left off last week with the tragic tale of Jean Grenier, a 13-year-old boy who fell out with his dad and took to begging and looking for work throughout the little villages of his homeland in La Roche Chalet in the Dordogne region of France. Lycanthropy. Lycanthropy. <laughs> Lycanthropy. <laughs> and I got some nice uh, sound effects to go along with oh, it. So no, every wait, time really? I say it, it's going to go... Oh, nice. Lycanthropy. Yeah, You'll I do a whole Yosemite lots Sam. Lots of fun. Yeah, yeah. Where you're like doing the guns. I will just put it out there. This I tried my. <laughs> He's licking himself so he can hear I'm that. Purring as well. That's that's for you guys. That's all for you. Dulce's dad said he sounds like a motor. <laughs> um. Anyway. <laughs> I tried really hard, but this is 100% going to be a three-parter. I never thought I would do a three-parter on werewolves, but here we go. So the way I've done it is starting more or less from way back and working my way slowly but surely up to modern times. So anyway, like I was saying, Jean Grenier, in an effort to feel like he was important or just that he really belonged somewhere, he claimed that he was actually a werewolf. That's that, your sound effects? I thought you were no, going to no, put I have them sound in. Effect. I have real sound effects. <laughs> like, wow, it was going to be a long episode. Yeah, you should have been around for the research. Every time I read the word lycanthropy or werewolf, it would go off in my head and I'd have to wait until it finished. <laughs> <laughs> because you don't control it. No, I don't control it. Anyway... <laughs> He claimed he was actually a werewolf and that he had been responsible for the latest wolf attacks which te- were terrorizing the region. When he was brought in front of Parliament to plead his case, 
He persisted in his stubbornness and refused to admit that he had made all this up. He really genuinely wanted people to believe he was a werewolf. He went on to say that his dad and a man named Pierre du Tilhair, Tillery, I don't know. Tilhair. Yeah, Tillher, uh, were the ones who actually got him into werewolfery. Although <laughs> whenever, yeah, I might have made that up. Whenever either of them were present, he would recant and change a story, only to later retell it more or less the same, but with small variations, which kind of showed that it may have not been true. His own story never changed a bit. Mm-hmm. Like, he stayed true to every aspect of that story. And he would later tell three or four noblemen mm. that he was just afraid of the beating he would get if he told the story of his dad and Pierre in front of them. Ultimately, his dad and this Pierre guy were released on the 6th of September, 1603, because Jean's story kept changing. According to his own father, Jean was an idiot who, quote, for an apple will tell you what you want. And he was understandably loving all of the attention that this trial was bringing. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm sure he was as well fed as he had ever been and was the center of attention. The boy was examined by two physicians as this case really seemed to have the courts flummoxed. One doctor said he was a little bit of a dullard and suffers from melancholy, which is just what they used to call depression back in the day, which could have been anything. While the other said he has the mark of the beast on his inner thigh or something to that effect. I wonder what you'd call dullard nowadays. Because, you know, like melancholy was depression and uh, what would I constitute mean, dullard. Yeah, I was being nice choosing that word. Oh. The rest of them were just like, his yeah. stupidity is beyond belief. Oh, wow. Um, it, it was said that he had the mental age of around a seven or eight year old. Mm. Um, so he just had learning, disability, learning disabilities. Anyway, of his teeth and nails, one report said, quote, the former were longer and wider than normal and stuck out somewhat. They had turned half back from being used on animals and people. The nails had also gone completely black from the root up and had been half worn, which demonstrates clearly that he had been a werewolf and that he used his hands for both running and for grabbing children and dogs by their throats. Obviously. Yeah. So two very different uh, doctors, I feel like. He had also displayed a rare gift for running on all fours, which he displayed to the judge quite happily when he was asked. So as well as being believed to have the mental age of a seven or eight year old, another witness of the trial said that he was just, quote, a young boy abandoned and driven out by his father, who had a stepmother for a mother who roamed the fields without a guide and without anyone in the world who cared for him, begging for bread. But... This didn't mean that anyone should feel any sort of compassion or go easy on him. These were, quote, conditions the devil could and would exploit. Hmm. So it's like almost reason. You know what I mean? It's like they were so close. Yeah. But he was facing the death penalty. Like as a 13 year old boy. He may have been 14 at this stage by the time the courts actually got around. Anyway, but again, in a move of progression, which... Much like in the case of Jacques Roulet, he was sentenced to spend the rest of his life in a Bordeaux monastery. He apparently never went back on his story and reportedly lived a peaceful enough life until he died at the monastery 
in November of 1610 at the young age of 20 or 21. Oh, wow. Yeah. But the whole thing was, no matter what, he still to his dying day either fully believed or at least pretended to believe that he was a werewolf and that he had carried out all these acts. But he was well looked after in the monastery. Anyway, moving on. And I do have to move on because we have quite a bit of werewolf, werewolfery antics to get around today. Like entropy. So this next case ended not so peacefully. Although I'm pretty sure this next guy was not so peaceful as poor little Jean. And I will start with a poem. A German called Peter Stump by charm of an enchanted girdle did much harm. Hmm. Transformed himself into a wolfish shape and in a wood did many years escape. The hand of justice till the hangman met him and from a wolf did witch and halter set him. Those counterfeiting shapes have had ill luck. Witness action when he played the book. So Peter Stump, or Stump, or Stub, or Stub, depending on where you read about him, was a wealthy farmer in Bedburg, in the region of Cologne in Germany. He was a well-known widower with two teenage kids, born sometime in the 1530s. The Stump children. The st- well, I've actually decided, I think the general consensus is Stub, S-T-U-B-B-E. Mm. I'm going for Stump. Because it sounded funny. That sounds like a noise you'd make if you'd fall. Yeah. Stumpf. Yeah. Or like taking a cork out of a bottle or something. Yeah. Well, anyway, Stumpf's case was well spread around Europe back in the day thanks to a 16-page pamphlet of which there are, I'm pretty sure, only two left. And they're locked up in libraries in England. But thanks to Montague Summers, okay. author of... The werewolf in lore and legend. He found one of these copies way back in 1920s and reprinted it in their book. So, thanks, Monty. Montague. And I'm going to read a little bit of it, but bearing in mind, it's tough. It's a tough read. Anyway, declaring the damnable life and death of Stubb Peter, a most wicked sorcerer, who in the likeness of Wolf committed... <laughs> that's how it's written. <laughs> committed many murders, continuing this devilish practice 25 years, killing and devouring men, women, and children, who, for the same fact, was taken and executed the 31st of October last past in the town of Bedburg. It goes on... Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it goes on, but it's an old pamphlet originally written in high German and translated to old English. So, like, when I say this thing is hard to fucking read. What's high German? I think, like... Like fancy German? Old German, you know what I mean? Yeah, that Mm -hmm. would have been not the common German speaking today, spoken today. So, that being translated into old-timey English. Like, do you ever read Shakespeare? (laughs) Yes. It's fucking hard. I it is. Cannot it's like, compute. did people really talk like this? I see. I don't think they did. I, as far as I'm aware, that's like formal, like telephone voice conversation. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. For the most part. Anyway, you get the picture. So for years, 
Farmers around the town or township of Bedburg were terrified by the strange deaths of a lot of their cows. Day after day, for many weeks, they would find cattle dead in the pastures, ripped open as if by some savage animal. Skinwalker. Uh, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally, wolves were the number one suspect, but it would appear that this was the beginning of Mr. Stumpf's career as a good old-fashioned serial killer. Not long after his escapades with the cattle, he escalated to children. Kids started disappearing from their homes and farms and young women would vanish from their regularly travelled paths. Some were never seen again, while others were found dead and horribly mutilated. Soon, people began to suspect more than just wolves. They believed they had a werewolf in their midst. Mm. Werewolf! Yes. <laughs> the murders continued. Stumpf later told the courts that at the young age of 12, he had come into the possession of a magic belt. The devil himself had given him this magic belt made of wolf fur. And when he put it on, it transformed him into, quote, the likeness of a greedy devouring wolf, strong and mighty, with eyes great and large, which in the night sparkled like brands of fire, a mouth great and wide, with most sharp and cruel teeth, a huge body and mighty paws. And to, and to transform back into a human, he would just take it off. And a small dick. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> All this was probably just to make up for the fact that he had a small dick. He went on to confess that he had actually killed 13 children, two pregnant women, and countless animals. Trigger warning here. It does get pretty gra graphic. He claimed that he sexually assaulted the young girls that he killed before mutilating their bodies. Small children were strangled bludgeoned and throats ripped open with his bare hands some were disemboweled and partially eaten lambs and calves were ripped apart and devoured raw and the two pregnant women had their babies ripped from their wombs before he quote ate their hearts panting hot and raw which he later described as dainty morsels why didn't he fuck the sheep you know he could have fucked the sheep because I mean, he's an animal I don't know. Like, he's not Welsh. No, I mean... <laughs> that's fucked up. I definitely just lost us some listeners. <laughs> that's mean. No. But, I mean, like, you see what I'm saying? I mean, I don't... Like, not... if he's so fucking animalistic, why isn't he out there fucking sheep or whatever? What is it that he, he killed? Cows and Lambs shit? and calves, yeah. Yeah. Why well, just... who's to say that he didn't? Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, good point. I mean, I doubt it, but... Yeah. An odd thing to to question. Oh, <laughs> is it? On one occasion, it said Stumpf saw two men and a woman taking a nice leisurely stroll just outside the city walls of Bedburg. So he hid behind some bushes, and as they were walking past, he called out, Gaddy, I've got wood. I've got a lot of wood. That's Could weird. you please help me with this lumber? I'm assuming that's how he sounded. So he clearly at least knew one of these people. Uh -huh. I don't know the names. I've given him the name of Gary. Yeah. And when the first guy came around the bushes, Stumpf bashed him in the head with something. 
and killed him. Yeah, Maybe th- the lumber that he was using. Yeah, this guy's just a freak. Yeah, pretty much. He then waited patiently. And eventually, the second man came looking for his friend and Stumpf pounced again. At this point, the woman got freaked out and ran off. But unfortunately, Stumpf managed to catch up with her and raped and killed her. What a dick. Her body was never found. The fuck? So it's assumed that he ate her whole. No but, way. Yeah, but I, I, this is extremely unlikely, I feel like. Yeah, that's like a lot of human. That's yeah, a lot of human. There's bones and everything. One child was lucky enough to have escaped an attack. Several children were playing in the meadow among some cows when Stump just came running at them. He managed to grab one small girl by the neck as the other children ran away. Stump tried to rip her throat out, as he was wont to do, but, quote, his fingers were prevented from doing so by her stiff, high collar. This gave her time to cry out. The cry altered the cattle, which, fearing the safety of their calves, charged after Stubb. He released the girl and fled. The girl survived. So the cows, I think this is where I was getting mixed up last week. Um, This is the one where the cows ganged up on (laughs) the supposed werewolf and like scared him away. And to be fair, cows can be scary. Yeah. And the worst part of this whole stump story was the incestuous relationships he was said to have with both his sister and his daughter. It's said that his daughter became pregnant. And I'm not sure if he killed that baby or it was his first ever child. But either way, he admitted to leading his son into the forest, murdering him and then eating his brains. Gross. Stumpf's story comes to an end when a bunch of random limbs were found in a field one day. They were deemed to be the limbs of all the missing people. A group of villagers grabbed their hunting dogs and set off to hunt down this wolf. At the time, they were still assuming that it was a wolf they were chasing. For days, the search went on, and then finally they saw it. Just a regular wolf, running. The dogs ran ahead and chased the animal until they had it cornered. But when the hunters caught up with them, they found not a wolf, but just plain old Peter Stumpf cowering in a corner. Two thoughts ran through their minds. Stumpf was a werewolf, or this wasn't even Stumpf. It was just some sort of devilish trickery. Just so, those two options. Huh? Just those two options, yeah. Interesting. And this was like high logic back in the day. So what they did was, they were like, this can't be Stumpf. Let's go to Stumpf's house with this imitation Stumpf. And then when we see the real Stumpf there, we can kill this imitation Stumpf. <laughs> so that's literally what they did. They brought Stumpf back to his house. The off-brand stuff. The off-brand, yeah, the great value Stumpf. They brought him back to his house to search for the real Stumpf. And when they didn't find the real Stumpf, they decided, shit, this guy's a fucking werewolf. (laughs) 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 Ah! (laughs) But wait a minute, you can't be... (laughs) How are you? (laughs) (laughs) And then the chase ensued and it's like... Yeah, just like Scooby-Doo thing. They're like popping out of filing cabinets and shit. Yeah. Or they go to rip the mask off and it's just his face. <laughs> They're just pulling out it. Like... Anyway, this is the part where the story gets a little bit cloudy. A little wishy-washy, as this, they say. This part? This, this was part, the part this now. This is it? Okay. Yes. So, it's said that just like good old-fashioned witch hunts, yeah. 
Stumpf only admitted his crimes when he was being tortured on the rack. He told the story of his wolf skin and all these wicked deeds and was sentenced to death on October 28, 1589. His daughter and mistress, I don't know if that means his sister or not, were also convicted with aiding and abetting, basically, and sentenced to be burned at the stake. Stumpf's execution was going to be a little bit different because of how awful his supposed crimes were. His body was to be strapped, spread eagle, on a large wheel. With red-hot pincers, his executioners would pull his flesh from his bones in ten spots. His arms and legs would be broken with a large axe. His head would then be cut off. And finally, they would burn his body in the same fire that was burning both his daughter and mistress or sister. That's elaborate. Yeah. Now, this is one of the most famous cases of an early serial killer and of lycanthropy. Lycanthropy! If we can believe it. We only have the very biased information of a pamphlet that is almost 500 years old as our proof. And even in the pamphlet, they admitted. Well, he told us after we tortured him for hours on end. So, honestly, we don't know. But it's a well-documented yeah. uh, story. Anyway, moving on. Because it turns out a lot of old, like, anthropic stories end that way. <laughs> like, this dying, the guy dies. The guy dies, and then 500 years later, we go, uh... Maybe. Guys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but our next story brings us... Way up, way up. That last one was uh, when 1589. This one brings us all the way up to 1767. All the way up. All the way up. Nothing can stop me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So our next story I included because I thought it was another good example of media influencing the people. Mm. This story takes us across the Atlantic. This will be our only North American story. Well, that's a lie. Okay. This story takes us all the way across the Atlantic Ocean to Canada. Mm. Quebec City, to Mm. be precise. Now, I haven't delved into any Native American lore because it's so vast. And honestly, I don't want to upset anybody by being ignorant or not understanding something fully or or whatever. Mm -hmm. Just not knowing the full story. But that being said, I do know that while they have many stories of people turning into animals and skinwalkers, etc., this one is purely brought over by white man fear. Okay. Who claimed the rights to Quebec City? I don't know. French people? The French. Okay. Who had a major Lugaru problem that lasted more than a century? The French people? The French. So, it makes perfect sense that the French started having werewolf problems again in this new land that they inhabited. Maybe a few snuck onto the boats they used to travel across the ocean. Who knows? Either way, in 1767, the Gazette newspaper reported that in June of that year, a werewolf that had been given this a werewolf that had been given the people of the city problems for years now was seen walking outside the city walls disguised as a beggar. Oh shit. So maybe this was just a beggar. <laughs> yeah. Who knows, but the newspaper warned, quote, It is recommended to the public to be as cautious of him as it would be of a ravenous wolf. Mm. 
this random homeless person that they're just like it's yeah. a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny to me. I know, yeah. This is particularly strange. But they said they're worried that this werewolf could be just as dangerous, if not more dangerous, than some of the worst werewolves from back home. Apparently, quote, The people of New France fought back in the fall of 1767. They organised a campaign of attacks against the beast. And that October, they won a major victory. Mm-hmm. They set their dogs upon the werewolf over and over again, seriously injuring the monster. On November 3rd, the newspaper reported that, quote, he received such a furious blow that it was thought they were entirely delivered from this fatal animal, as it soon time after retired to its hole, to the great satisfaction of the public. They're like, yeah, get back in your hole. Yeah, get back in your hole, werewolf. <laughs> Please, I just want some bread. <laughs> a few weeks later, however, this beast is not entirely destroyed, but begins again to show itself more furious than ever and makes terrible havoc wherever he goes. Mm. Beware then the wiles of this malicious beast and take good care of falling into its claws. Oh. Yes. Oh. And that's the last time the Gazette mentioned anything about this werewolf. So My they theory just coexisted then? No, they figured like that's it, they beat him. Oh. But my theory in this particular case is that it was actually just a bear. Like the way they described it disappearing back into its hole and um. you know, going hibernating, it was winter time mm. and bears can walk on their hind legs and stuff like that. Are there bears in France? So that last line too, take good care of falling into its claws. But now I have a Google search history like Dwight Schrute. What kind of bears live in France? What's bigger, the Eurasian brown bear or the grizzly bear? <laughs> Many questions like this in my Google search history. Uh, what's a Eurasian bear? So the Eurasian brown bear is the bear that inhabited France. France definitely would have had bears back in the day. They were more recently reintroduced in the Pyrenees Mountains not too long ago. Um, so unless these people who had seen this quote-unquote werewolf had never seen or even heard of a bear before, my theory is tits out the window. So I don't know. I don't know what they were saying. Anyway, I just wanted to include that because it was a good example of the media shaping stories. Maybe it was just a slow fucking news week for the, <laughs> the newspaper in 1767. So was it a beggar? Was it a bear? We don't know. Now... Back to Europe. Okay. Okay. Spain this time. And we're continuing forward on our lycanthropic journey starting this time in 1809. Okay. okay. We're getting closer. Yeah. Yeah. We went from 16 whatever to now 18 whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the. I'm not good at remembering years. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the super accurate years. Which was... Ballpark. So, yeah. <laughs> this is apparently the only documented case of lycanthropy to come from Spain and is also the story of Spain's first documented serial killer. Mm. Born on November 8th, 1809, Manuel Blanco Romasanta was actually given the name Manuela. Is that how you say that? Manuela? Mm -hmm. Was actually given the name Manuela as it is said that he was born with both male and female genitalia. Oh. And the doctors deemed him a her. 
So I actually looked up. Um, so I looked it up, and according to the Mayo Clinic, the correct term is actually ambiguous genitalia, and it's a rare condition in which an infant's external genitals don't appear to be clearly either male or female. In a baby with ambiguous genitalia, the genitals may be incompletely developed, or the baby may have characteristics of both sexes. The external sex organs may not match the internal sex organs or genetic sex. Ambiguous genitalia isn't a disease, it's a disorder of sex development. Usually, ambiguous genitalia is obvious at or shortly after birth. So that being said, Manuela lived as a girl for the first six years of their life. Until one day, a doctor said, Wait a minute, that's an Audi, not a ninny. <laughs> and from that day forward, Manuela was Manuel. Mm-hmm. This change must have caused immense psychological trauma. I would assume okay. so. Yeah, it wasn't like they were given a choice. It was just like, oh, look at that. Better throw away all these dresses and start going to the boys' school in your pants. And this was around 1815, remember. So, you know, as forward-thinking as France was with the putting people away, like not killing people who they deemed to have mental disabilities or, or disorders. Yeah. They weren't quite at the point of letting children decide their their own identity, you know? Yeah. So that being said, Manuel, from this point on, will be referred to as a he. Manuel learned to read and write at a young age, which for the time was a huge achievement. Mm-hmm. And this led people to just assume that he was an important person who must have great authority later on in his life. When he was growing up, however... He just had an awful time. He was always bullied for his appearance for one reason or another. And then by the time he got to his mid-teens, he just stopped growing. <laughs> yeah, his estimated height being between 4 foot 6 and 4 foot 11. Whoa. And that was it for the rest of his life. So as a quote-unquote grown man, Manuel became a tailor. Although it seemed that people knew him more as just that small man rather than a master tailor or anything like that. This was his defining characteristic. Right. Now he did manage to get married and tried to live a normal life. But sadly, his wife died unexpectedly in 1833. And after this, Manuel decided to try a different lifestyle. He became a traveling salesman and went on the road throughout Spain and Portugal And he also occasionally worked as a guide, taking people through the mountains of Castile, Asturias, and Cantabria. All right. Now, this is where the reading and writing thing came in, because people just trusted him because he could read maps. He could read regular shit. So it was like, oh, he obviously knows what he's doing. I love that. I'd be like, oh, I was like, oh, look, you see this? It says this. This and this and this, just so people like oh, respect her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, if it was me, they'd be like, "Burn her! She's a witch." Yeah. Excuse <laughs> me, can't you see I'm reading here? <laughs> Apologies, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, whatever transpired between his wife dying in 1833 and 1844 seems to be fairly unknown, but. Manuel ended up owing around 600 reals, some made-up old-timey money, 
And when the constable of Leon, Leon in Spain, Leon? you said constable or constable. I said constable. <laughs> Why should I said constable? <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. You have genitalia on your brain. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, when the constable of Leon, uh, whose name was Vicente Fernandez, came to collect, Manuel killed him. What? Yeah. Out of left field. Yeah, a little bit. Now, I don't know how he killed him or anything, but this constable was dead. Wow. Manuel didn't stick around. He just said no. Yeah, he was like, nope. Popped him one. I don't know, honestly. But Manuel didn't stick around. He obtained a fake passport under the new name of Antonio Gomez. Okay. And fled the area. A trial went ahead and he was sentenced to 10 years in prison Mm. in his absence. But he knew he couldn't go back here. So he lived on the run for years, traveling from town to town. He made a living doing odd jobs that were, quote, not normal for men at the time. What does that mean? Did he, did he like, sew or something? He made yarn. He cleaned. He mended clothes. Ah, did see? crafts and cooked. Which gained him a reputation with the local men as being very effeminate. They said he was, quote, too gentle. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> He's not rough enough for me. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, would you? If he were rough enough, would you like him? Probably. Would you like him? I like I like my friend, I like my men to be rough. Yeah. He's not smelly enough. Anyway, at some point he got back to his old job of working as a guide, possibly to get away from all these manly men who only liked other real men. Yeah. And his clientele were mainly women and children. Again, trusting the reading man. Mm-hmm. A lot of these women and children never seemed to make a return trip or even get where they were going. Manuel would bring letters to their loved ones, or send them at least, pretending to be from their family. And again, most people didn't know how to read or write, so it wasn't unusual to go and hire someone to write a letter and send it back to your family. Oh, okay. So this didn't raise any red flags or anything. Oh. And, this little, and this little hustle, which I feel like we've heard a million times before now, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. um, it lasted a long while, like probably longer than it should have. And Manuel would sell off his victim's clothes and whatnot because he was constantly traveling. Occasionally, some of the victim's bodies would show up, but they would be so badly mutilated that no one was, ab- no one was ever able to identify them. And eventually, over the course of a few years, suspicions turned to Manuel. Starting out as nothing more than a rumor, people started to say that he was selling his victim's clothes and possessions. But then finally... In 1852, a formal accusation was made in the city of Escalonia. It was said that not only was Manuel selling his poor victim's clothes, but the soap he was selling was made from human body fat. Of course. Which brings us, reminds me of the the soap maker of Correggio. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, she was Spanish too, right? No, that was Italy. What was that? Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. But either way, like very similar, even like down to the sending the letters back to the families and stuff like that. So he was arrested in September of 1852 in Nombela and he was later transferred to Alariz. He was put on trial for the murders of 13 people ranging in age from 10 to 47. 
Manuel admitted guilt as soon as the trial started. He was like, yep, I did it. Interesting. But this took the court by surprise. And he claimed it wasn't his fault. He was cursed, you see. And he had only ever killed after he had transformed into a wolf. That's, again, out of left field. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, understandably, the courts were just like, uh, sorry? (laughs) So this is a quote from Manuel. The first time I transformed was in the mountains of Cuso. I came across two (laughs) ferocious-looking wolves. I suddenly fell to the ground and began to feel convulsions. I rolled over three times. One, two, three. Uno, dos, tres. Oh my god, And a few seconds later, I was a wolf. I was out marauding with the other two for five days until I returned to my own body, the one you see before you today, your honor. The other two wolves came with me, who I thought were also wolves, changed into human form. They were from Valentia. One was called Antonio, the other, Don Gennaro. They too were cursed. We attacked and ate a number of people because we were hungry. Then Puss in Boots came along. Why do you sound like Antonio, <laughs> Antonio Banderas? Banderas. Oh my it's God. sexy. Don't, don't deny it. I'm kind of aroused myself right now. Good for you. That means your constable's working. <laughs> <laughs> and that quote was by Manuel Blanco Roma Santa. So anyway, the court was completely shocked and in complete disbelief. And completely turned on. So aroused. They're like, oh my God. <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> the prosecutor, Lucian Bastida Hernandez, asked Manuel to transform for them to prove his story. But Manuel said, no. That was, that was all. <laughs> okay. No, he actually said that he couldn't transform because the curse only lasted 13 years and that his curse had expired the week prior. Without proof of a transformation, the court did not believe Manuel's story. But everywhere I read used that exact terminology. His curse had expired the week prior. <laughs> so it's like he ran out of his Netflix subscription yeah. or something. It's like, man, I haven't had the 1099 yeah, yeah. to pay it for the last fucking three months, so... So Maybe I can log into your curse, I don't know. It's been a while since Netflix was ten ninety nine. <laughs> well, fucking whatever. I'll watch the ads. He needs to go sell more human body soap. So, Manuel was studied closely and had all sorts of exams carried out to prove or disprove his claims. And in October of 1852, a doctor's report was presented to the court. Using mostly phrenology which is the study of the shape and size of the cranium as a supposed indication of character and mental abilities, a practice which has since been debunked and was actually already being pretty heavily phased out even back then in 1852. I think it was officially disproved in the 1840s. But anyway, these doctors found no motives or reasons why for Manuel's behaviours, stating, quote, His inclination to vice is voluntary and not forced. The subject is not insane, dim-witted, or monomaniacal, nor were these conditions achieved while incarcerated. On the contrary, he instead turns out to be a pervert, an accomplished criminal capable of anything, cool and collected, 
and without goodness, but acts with free will, freedom, and knowledge. That's a pretty cool passage for 1852. Yeah. <laughs> they did eventually acquit him of four of the murders after they were found to be actually wolf attacks. While the remains of the other nine victims did show signs of being butchered by a human hand. And therefore, Manuel was found guilty of those murders. So after seven long months, the trial concluded on April 6th, 1853. And Manuel was sentenced to death by the garrote. He was also ordered to pay 1,000 real for each of his victims. The case was reviewed and the death penalty commuted to life imprisonment. But then they changed it back to death. So I don't know. <laughs> and the prison where Manuel was actually sent to to await his death sentence no longer exists and its records have long since disappeared. But it was generally believed that he died within months of arriving. But due to recent investigations, because this guy is like somewhat of a, not a hero, but like a big figure in Spanish history, like Spanish true crime history. There's a lot of people trying to just prove and disprove everything at the minute recent investigations found newspaper clippings from 1863 that state he actually died in Ciuta prison on the 14th of December 1863 quote in Ciuta prison the unfortunately famous Manuel Blanco Roma Santa known in all of Spain as the werewolf as a consequence of his atrocities and misdeeds, and who was sentenced to prison by the court in La Coruña, died in that place on the 14th of this month, being the victim of stomach cancer. Mm. And that's the story of Manuel Blanco, Roma Santa. Interesting. Yeah. So before I go to part three, I will just cite my sources really quick. You might want to just skip ahead 15 or 30 seconds. Sources so far have been ncbi.nlm.nih.gov. I'll link all these articles if anybody's interested. Anyway, livescience.com, jamiehall.org, orca.cardiff.ac.uk. And the name of that article is The Making of a Teen Wolf. Liveabout.com, thisiscanadiana.com, britannica.com, lichenfoundation.org history collection ph museum and the mayo clinic and good old wikipedia for reference so yeah there you go guys there's part two of lycanthropy next week i will be focusing on just one particular case that is gonna take quite a while so get ready for that so anyway thank you all for listening again this week and yeah this one's coming out on friday so happy halloween everybody happy halloween Happy Halloween. Uh, we hope you're enjoying this series so far. Please do reach out. Let us know. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please um, rate and review. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to subscribe, like the video. Uh, follow us on Spotify. Fucking turn on notifications, all that shit. Follow us on Instagram. Our Facebook page hasn't been working for the last few days. Don't know what's going on. But Instagram is our main kind of go-to anyway. And, um, oh, if you want more content, go on to patreon.com. You can sign up for as little as $2 a month. And uh, there's a buttload of stuff on there already. And Dulce has taken over there. So there's a lot more coming. 
Yeah. A lot more coming your way. Right to your face. Coming all over your face. Um, and yeah, I think that's it for this week. So yeah, clean yourself up before you leave, and that's <laughs> it. We'll see you later. Just a Kleenex by the door. <laughs> okay, everybody. Thank you very much. Yeah, bye. bye. It's said that in good old-fashioned witch hunting fashion. <laughs> in good old-fashioned witch hunting fashion. Yeah, that's literally what I wrote. <laughs> uh, What's another word? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>